Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Welcome to Real Life. I'm happier than you are this morning. Guess who had coffee and who didn't? Good to see you all this morning. Glad you guys, it's just the spirit and the coffee. Uh, Good to be with you. I'm Jim. If you're here for the first time, it's great to be with you. God bless you who are worshiping in the chapel this morning. You who are worshiping online this morning uh, need to be able to be in different places and all together at the same time. Uh, Good to be with you. Oh, I I need to uh, apologize. Somebody caught me after first service. I'm sorry if you're having trouble finding parking. It looks like maybe... Maybe you're okay at the service. Uh, last week we had to do the, the, you know, the very spiritual butt scooch to get everybody in. And so I, I just a heads up, at some point we may have to go to three services on a weekend. That's not an immediate uh, need, but uh, I anticipate that at some point we may have to do that. So just so you know, that's something to speculate about. Um, but anyway, uh, part of the reason that uh, our church is growing and part of the reason um, that, uh, that hearts are being touched and lives are being changed is because God is doing uh, cool things in our midst. And uh, I told you this story. If you were here uh, last week, I'll tell this. If, you're, if you were not here last week, if, you, if you're here for the first time, I'll tell you this, tell this to you like it's for the first time for you. Um, two, three weeks ago, I wrote a sermon uh, about a story in the Bible where a, a father goes to Jesus because his son is sick. Uh, and I wrote that, you know, during the week. And then that Sunday, uh, we had prayer at the end of our service like we always do. And a father came forward for prayer for a son who was at home sick. And he had a, a rare disease that had just been, been eating him up inside, and uh, he had been in just chronic pain for over a year. His hair had fallen out. His skin had burning rashes. He couldn't eat solid food, uh, he really, and he just didn't want to live anymore. And uh, the, the dad came forward, and we prayed together. And um, I don't know, I just felt, I felt really uh, touched by that family and just kind of felt a, just kind of a powerful moment in prayer. And a few days later, the dad texted me. He said, he's eating solid food again. Um, And uh, uh, saw him the next Sunday, and he said, we were going to see a specialist. It was months out that this doctor was available. Uh, There was an opening, and we're going to go see him tomorrow. And then he saw the specialist, and we had been praying um, because there was risk that the boy would lose his eyes. His uh, eyes were deteriorating, and he he was going to have to go to surgery and lose his eyes. And the specialist said, I don't know what to tell you, but his eyes are getting better. We don't have to do surgery on his eyes. Uh, So, uh, family was here last weekend, and I told you the story again, and I said, uh, he's still in pain, keep praying for him, he's eating solid food again, but keep praying for him, um, and that was Sunday, so, you know, pray, pray that the pain would go away. <laughs> Wednesday, I got a text from the dad, and it said, um, a miracle's happened, he hasn't had pain for four days, and this is the first time in a year, and uh, it, it looks like he's on the road to recovery, his eyesight is getting better, uh, and it's just amazing, it's just amazing. Uh, God does stuff like that. Um, I'm so thankful that we get to be a church that gathers around people who really believe in prayer and a God who, who really acts in the world and that we get to see miracles like that. And uh, I just pray that we see more and more of that because it's so, it's so good for, 
our hearts. It's so good for our faith. It's so good for a broken world to know that, that God is living and active. So, so keep praying for, for him. If Father gave me permission to share the whole story with you, uh, yeah, maybe one day he'll stand up here and tell it himself. Um, but, uh, but keep praying for that family and, uh, and for all the needs that we lift up. Uh, it's amazing to see God do good things. Um, so that is all of that. Uh, you know, I, was real, I realized uh, as I was telling this story in the last service, we began this series of teachings on t- Sunday mornings, uh, which is called Without Question, uh, in which we're looking at big questions about God and faith in the church. We began it with a sermon uh, entitled, uh, Why Doesn't God Answer Prayer? I think that was the first one out of the gate is, is why, you know, why do we sometimes pray and God doesn't do what we ask for? Uh, and in the midst of the series, I feel like God has kind of said, I'll show you. And, uh, and so God is uh, showing up and answering prayers. But we are in this teaching series, uh, which I'm having a lot of fun with, and I appreciate you putting up with me when I'm enjoying my own sermons, and, uh, and we're in this series of sermons called Without Question, in which we're looking at the big questions that people have about God and faith in the church. And sometimes it's people in the church wrestling with these questions, and a lot of times it's people that we know and love outside the church who wrestle with these questions and think, well, I don't want to go to church because I, have, I just have big doubts that, that the church doesn't want to hear about. Uh, and I definitely want to hear about people's doubts and questions. And I think, I think Jesus is with me on that one. I think Jesus welcomes big questions and is not at all offended when we have big questions about him. So today I want to deal with another big question. Uh, and it's a big question that actually lots and lots of people get stumped on. And it's a question of how faith and the modern sciences relate. How, how faith and the, the scientific academic world relate. Because, because there are big questions out there about where humanity came from and different rival views about how that came about. And often people are, are given, well, I'll tell you, uh, there was a, a mom in a church I worked at 15 years ago, uh, and, uh, and she said, I hope my kids don't get stuck on Darwinism in school because uh, I, w- I learned that when I was off at college, and it absolutely shook my faith. It absolutely took me away from faith, and I got into all kinds of mess after that, so I hope my kids don't get stuck on that. Um, and, and I know a lot of us are not scientists. I, I'm not a scientist. I, you know, I read the science articles in the magazines just out of curiosity. Some of us are. There are professional scientists who spend their life in a lab in our church, and there are uh, medical doctors in our, our congregation. There are social scientists and uh, engineers practicing other kinds of science in our congregation. So we have kind of a, a fun diversity when we gather together on uh, Sunday mornings. And that's probably probably a good description of the kingdom of God. Fun diversity is is what that is. So I realize we come at big questions of science from different perspectives, but we all ought to address these in one way or another. Uh, All ought to wrestle with these in one way or another. So this morning I want to ask this question as a non-scientist in a way that non-scientists don't feel like anybody's leaving them behind, right? This is a conversation for all of us. Let me start by asking you your opinion. We've been doing this every weekend uh, during the series, uh, and I I like playing with my tech gadgets, and so this gives me a chance to do that. Uh, On our app, on our Real Life Church app, uh, we've been doing a survey every Sunday morning. And so if uh, if you'd like to chime in on the morning's topic before we get into it, you can pull out your phone or your device and uh, log into the app and uh, answer this morning's survey question. If you don't have the app already and you want it, all you have to do is send a text to 77977. Send a text to 77977. And in the body of the text, the only thing you have to type is R-L-L-A. 
Real Life Los Angeles, R-L-L-A. If you send that, you'll get a text in response, and that'll let you download the app. And anytime during the morning, you can download it and take part in our little survey. Some of you are doing it right now because you're already ahead of me. So if you go to the app and click on uh, uh, messages down at the bottom, it'll take you to this morning's survey. And here's the question. This is the question of the morning. Um, where do you stand on this question? Uh, I think there are certain topics on which modern science and the Bible just don't agree. Strongly agree, agree, disagree, strongly disagree. This one's interesting because we're kind of all over the place on this one. Fun diversity. Uh, I think that there are places where the Bible and modern science just do not agree. What do you think? Strongly agree, agree, disagree, strongly disagree. And, you know, some people are chiming in right now, and you can watch in real time as the bars move up and down. Uh, and it's always fun to see if you guys veto first service. If first service lands somewhere and then you, because you get the last word. Right, they're, they're all out at brunch already. You get the last word, so you can chime in and, uh, and tell me what you think. That's always, always fun to watch. Um, okay, so, uh, so let's, uh, let's, let's address some, um, some big questions. These are, uh, these are big questions that, that people deal with in one way or another. Uh, and let me take us back a little bit in history before, before Darwin, before evolution, because this is really a big question about how the church relates to the sciences, how the church relates to the academy. Uh, go back to 1633. There was an event that happened in 1633 which still affects the nature of Christianity and the church today. 1633, there was a guy named Galileo who liked to study the stars and wanted the world to look through his new telescope because he decided we've got everything wrong. He says it's actually that the earth goes around the sun and not vice versa. If you'll just look through my telescope, I'll show you. Well, the Catholic Church of the day was doing a little investigation called the Spanish Inquisition in which people were told that they could either convert or face torture and death. I'm not sure where they got that doctrine. It's not in the Bible. But that's what the church was doing back then, one of our prouder moments. And they said to Galileo, look, there's a passage in Joshua chapter 10 that says the sun stopped in the sky. And the sun can't stop in the sky if the sun isn't moving. So you stop saying that, Galileo. You're contradicting the Bible. And he did. And to this day, your 17-year-old in the high school is taught that religious legends can be used as destructive tools to stop the pursuit of truth. Because of that proud moment in the church's history, to this day, students of a young age are taught, look, that's what religion does. Okay? Fast forward uh, 220 years into the future. In 1859, Charles Darwin published The Origin of the Species, talking about where humanity came from. And he, like Galileo, looked uh, through a telescope of his own and said, you know what, I don't think that human history orbits around humanity. I don't think the history of this planet orbits around humanity. I think the history of this planet is actually much longer, and human beings are kind of a final note at the end that didn't come about through all the organized ways that we might have thought. They seem to have just kind of struggled and survived and adapted to come to be what they are today. But it's not quite so organized as you might have thought. This, of course, sent shockwaves through the, first through the universities uh, in Europe and America. Everybody read Darwin and was shocked and startled and not sure what to do with it. Uh, at my own uh, alma mater, Princeton Seminary, there was a division in the ranks. Princeton Seminary back then was a very conservative school, very, very adamant about defending the Bible and Christianity against the, the culture around them, and uh, there was a division in the ranks. There was a professor at Princeton Seminary named uh, Charles Hodge, 
And Charles Hodge wrote a paper called What is Darwinism? in which he said, evolution is atheistic, it's contrary to the Bible, and Christians have to reject it. That was Charles Hodge. But his colleague in uh, the professorate at Princeton Seminary, B.B. Warfield, took the other side. And Warfield was a, an, ad, uh, an adamant defender of the Bible. He defended biblical inerrancy fiercely. And, and Warfield, I'll read you what he wrote. He wrote, uh, I do not think there is any general statement in the Bible or any part of the account of creation, either as given in Genesis 1 and 2 or elsewhere alluded to, that need be opposed to evolution. Hodge said, no, 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 if you're going to be a Christian, you can't believe in the Darwin teachings. Those just aren't not true. And Warfield said, no, 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 God can do what he wants to. If God wanted to bring humanity about in that way, he could have done that. That's, that doesn't contradict the, the scriptures. And so there's, there was this division early on. What, what made the, the matter all the more heated was that people globbed onto Darwinism for reasons that were not scientific. Thomas Huxley was an atheistic philosopher back then who went around calling himself Darwin's bulldog and defending and spreading Darwinism everywhere because it was finally an atheistic account of creation that could, could rival what Christians were teaching and, and went around propagating Darwinism before the scientific community had embraced it. And to this day, there are still atheistic scientists and philosophers who hold on to Darwinian evolution for philosophical rather than scientific reasons. So that then brings us to an interesting uh, place uh, in uh, the world today. You and I grew up in a world where, in general, in the public schools, people are taught about Darwinism. It's a matter of fact. And uh, if they grew up in a Christian home, uh, they're kind of left to wonder, well, so what do I, what do, I do? I, I, I hear that God brought humanity about, and Darwin seems to think we just kind of slithered into existence. What am I to do with that? Uh, what am I to do with that, especially when I'm not a scientist? Like I, can, I can read this, but I don't know what all the, all the rest of the world thinks. I don't know how to go read dozens and dozens of scientific texts and decide what the evidence really points to here. What do I do with this? Uh, well, I'm going to tell you something about your pastor. You don't, you don't know this about me, but uh, I am sort of the Forrest Gump of Darwinism. Uh, you know how in the movie Forrest Gump, he, he always stumbles into these big political events, and he, you know, they, they, did a, they superimposed Tom Hanks' image on these great political events in history, like a, you know, a, the, a, the uh, a guy becoming the president, and big you know, national events, and Forrest Gump is, somehow stumbles onto the stage in all these events. I'm sort of the Forrest Gump of the modern Darwin uh, debates. Um, when I was a student at UC Berkeley, this is just, it's just funny that it happened this way. When I was a student at UC Berkeley, uh, I had a friend who went to my church, and he was an intern at my church who worked with the college students. And as part of his compensation, the church housed him uh, with a family from the congregation. It was actually a professor at Berkeley who said, you can use my basement and put your interns in my basement, and they can live here for the year while they work at the church. And so my friend, Tom, said... Uh, Hey, hey, Jim, I'm going to watch some videos at, at, at my house, you know, in the basement over here, of some Christian philosophers debating about big issues. Do you want to come over and watch some debates about Christianity and, and philosophy and science and all this kind of stuff? And I said, sure. So I went over to the house Tom was staying in. Now, back then, kids, before there, before there were streaming movies, before there were DVDs, we had VHS. And VHS, let me explain to you how this works. VHS was about the size of a cinder block, and you put it in a big noisy machine, 
And after you're done watching your movie, you had to be kind and rewind. And you, you had to hit rewind, and it would go. And it took almost as long as the movie itself to get back to the beginning if you wanted to watch it again. That's how. And, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you missed the best part of history. It's over, and you just missed it. It was great back then. Uh, and it'll never be as good. So um, he had me, that's just a little sidebar. So he, uh, he said, why don't you come over and we'll watch these, uh, these d- debates and so forth. So we, we did that and we enjoyed doing that. Now, upstairs, this professor, this UC Berkeley professor, was writing a book. And I remember the release of the book. He released it while I was a student there. And the book was called Darwin on Trial. And the author's name was Philip Johnson. He was a law professor at UC Berkeley, and he wrote this book called Darwin on Trial that launched a lot of the modern debate about Darwinism in the public sphere. He, he certainly popularized it and then went all over the world debating about it. He was writing this book upstairs while we were sitting in the basement watching videos. The guy I was watching videos with, Tom, is Tom Crisp, who's now the chair of the philosophy department at Biola. And so here I am, the Forrest Gump of the whole thing, surrounded by brilliant minds, not having a credible voice in the situation, but, but these amazing things were going on all around me without me realizing it. Then I went to Princeton Seminary, and while I was there, uh, some friends of mine and I started a little um, apologetic seminar, a, a seminar defending the Christian faith, talking about how do you rationally defend the Christian faith in the world today. And one of the guys who was leading those seminars was a guy named William Dembski, who already had two PhDs and had gone back to seminary again. And uh, in the last 20 years, a lot of the books that have been uh, written about uh, intelligent design and evolution were either written by or edited by William Dembski. Uh, And he's become this great and important voice in that conversation. And here I was not having any idea who he would become uh, right in the middle of it. So I'm sort of the Forrest Gump of the modern conversations about Darwinism. so, so given that, a, a friend of mine, Kyle Harwick, uh, a, a little while ago, invited me down to Mariner's Church to give a lecture about faith and science to their high school ministry, a little tiny church uh, called Mariner's down in Irvine. Their, their youth group is much bigger than the crowd we have here today. And, uh, and so I'm talking to the teenagers about faith and science. And, and when I'm doing this, I actually always I pay attention to the back row, to the people who sit closest to the door, looking like they want to get away. and Because that's usually who God speaks to the most clearly. And so, so I'm talking to this group of teenagers, and there's a, there's a kid sitting right next to the door in the back, kind of arms crossed, listening to all this. And midway through my talk, he raises his hand, and uh, I say, yeah, what's the question? And he says, uh, I don't get it. Hasn't Darwinism proven that the Bible isn't true? Hasn't science just proven that the Bible's wrong? And I thought, Oh, that's, 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 uh, that's so interesting. I said, that's, that's, that's a really interesting uh, observation. Uh, I was just making stuff up because I didn't know what to say. And uh, I said, that's really interesting. I said, you know, you know I, think, I think that the Bible is actually full of science. I still had no idea what I was talking about. I was just punting it down the, down the road. Now I was in. I was like, uh, but, you know, I, I realized I think the Bible is actually full of science. I, I think that's actually the case. I, I said to him, Look at the creation story in Genesis. Look at the the order of creation, right? On the first day, God created light, and he called it good. On the second day, God created the the earth from the sky. On the third day, God created the the plants on the ground. On the fourth day, God created the moon and the stars. On the fifth day, God created all the animals. And on the sixth day, God created humanity. And on the seventh day, God rested and called it good. And I said to him, Don't you see the science? On the first day, 
God created the mysterious particles and waves that make up the foundation of all things tangible. On the first day, God created light and God created physics, and he called it good. On the second day, God created the hydrogen and oxygen atoms that bonded together to form molecules that would form the texture of everything tangible. On the second day, God created chemistry, and he called it good. On the third day, God created the plants. He created the, the palm tree and the pineapple, the cocoa bean and the coffee bean. And you better believe God called that day good. That was a good day. Right? On the fourth day, God created the stars. He gave Orion a beautiful belt to wear, and he looked at Saturn and felt a deep affection for Saturn and said, well, if I like it, then I better put a ring on it. And he did. And it was good. You got to listen to the radio while you're working. What do you think he was doing? And then God created, fifth day, created all the animals. He created the majestic eagle and the prickly porcupine and the misconstrued platypus, which looks like what happens when you make a sandwich out of all the leftovers that are in the refrigerator. But it's still good, so he called it good. And then, then after creating the animals, God created humanity. God created little minds to contemplate the great mind. God created hearts to feel and hands to reach out in need and in fear and in love. And he called it good. On, on that day, God created anthropology. Right? On the seventh day, God created philosophy, the mother of all the sciences, a day on which to contemplate and to rest. Don't you see the science? He went through physics and chemistry and geology and botany and astronomy and, and zoology and anthropology and philosophy. In the beginning, God created the sciences, and he called it good. Now listen, people of God, the world needs to see a church that will engage the minds that God gave us to study the beautiful world that God created and not go and hide our heads in the sand every time we hear an idea that scares us. The church has done far too much of that in history. God did not give us the scriptures to use them to silence thoughtful questions any more than when it's asking about whether or not the earth goes around the sun or how God brought humanity into being. The Bible is not there to be a, a destructive tool to stop people from pursuing truth. The people of God are people who follow after the one who said, I am the truth. If you're following Jesus, you're following truth. If you're pursuing truth, you're pursuing Jesus. Those two are not in contradiction to one another. You can't do one without the other. And the world is long overdue for a church that cares enough to let people ask thoughtful questions about how the world came to be and anything else science wants to investigate. If God chose to create the world through an evolutionary process, who is the clay to question the potter and tell him how he's supposed to do what he does? God can bring about the world the way, any way he wants to and call it good. And if evolution is not the process that he made, that, should, that he used, that should be a conversation among the, the scientific and the learned. If you want a voice in that conversation, fine, but read a book first. That ought to be a conversation between people who really want to use their minds to ask thoughtful things about how the world is. And we ought to be wide open to that pursuit. 
There are thoughtful scientists out there like Michael Behe and Stephen Meyer who are asking questions about whether or not Darwinism could account for the complexity of biology or the, the gaps in the fossil record. Even uh, uh, Thomas Nagel, who's an atheist philosopher at New York University, says that evolution is not sufficient to account for things like morality and consciousness. He wants a different answer. He's still an atheist, but he says Darwinism's not going to do it for him. It's perfectly legitimate to have thoughtful conversations, pro and con, about those things. But what the world does not need is a church making decisions based on fear. Fear doesn't help you make good decisions. In fact, 1 John chapter 4 says that love casts out all fear. When the church makes decisions based on fear, when we run away like cowards and bury our heads in the sand, we don't convince the world that we're worth listening to. We convince the world that we should be ignored. And honestly, a church that tries to silence thoughtful questions probably should be ignored. That's not what God called us to. God created a beautiful, fascinating, complex world for you and I to live in and gave us thoughtful minds with which to to contemplate this world. And and great minds have, have taken on faith in the sciences and held them conjointly without any contradiction. Many of the great scientists in history have been faithful people. Isaac Newton, who you know, posited the, the gravitational constant, actually wrote more about Christianity in his lifetime than he ever wrote about science. Uh, Gregor Mendel, the father of modern genetics, preached sermons at his church. Uh, Louis Pasteur, who made milk drinkable, said that he always prayed while he worked. Uh, The uh, father of uh, modern thermodynamics, Lord Kelvin, uh, actually gave speeches defending Christianity. And Francis Collins, the leader of the modern genome mapping project, calls Jesus his Lord and Savior. Those are people who use the minds that God gave them the way God intended them to be used. Doesn't the world deserve a church that would do that? How terrible that kids go off into school or into the next stage of life and feel like they've been told you have to pick one or the other. It's either the church or science. I've talked to so many people who have walked away from the church because there are brilliant, thoughtful, humble minds out there who say it's not the way you've been taught. The church does no one any favors to say, the minute you hear that, run away, it's going to destroy you. It will destroy you. But it's not Darwinism that's doing the destroying. It's rigid, fundamentalist Christians who won't let people ask questions that they actually have. It's time for the church to stop doing damage to people by telling them it's either their heart or their mind. Look at what Christians have done historically when they've embraced the sciences. Look at what Christians have done historically when they open their minds to thoughtful investigation. All the great universities of Europe and America, the Harvards and the Oxfords, were founded by Christians who believed that God's world could be explored with the human mind. They they developed universities with the idea that we can honor God by asking thoughtful questions about what God made. What better way to honor him? The great hospitals of history were first invented by Christians who believed that we could use science alongside prayer, not instead of prayer, but alongside prayer, to manipulate the physical world, to bring about healing in the midst of brokenness, to repair things that have been hurt. Those Those were Christians using the minds that God gave them and using the empirical sciences that are at our disposal to worship God. Doesn't the church deserve that? Doesn't the world deserve that? Isn't that how God made us? Um, The one thing I I wouldn't want us 
to do. The one thing I, I, I don't want to see any more of is something I saw when I was a, a teenager, uh, and I, was, uh, I went to a, summer, a Christian summer camp, a fiery Baptist Christian summer camp, nestled in the hills of Texas, deep in the woods, so that no one could get away. And I remember this, this fiery preacher standing up and talking about hell and talking about uh, how we ought to believe. And then at the end, he called for questions, of which I had many. And I began asking him, his question, asking him my questions, and he answered a few until he got tired, at which point he said, and I'll, I'll never forget it, he goes, Jim, sometimes you just have to stop asking questions and believe. Now, that's trash. That is absolute trash. If you turn off the mind that God gave you to pursue truth, you will not end up at Jesus. You will end up at an idol. The pursuit of Jesus is the pursuit of truth. The pursuit of truth is the pursuit of Jesus. Look at what Jesus himself did with one of his disciples had thoughtful questions. Open in your Bibles to John chapter 20. Uh, if you've got uh, the U version on your Bible, Y-O-U, that's a free version of the Bible you can download and follow along, or we'll have it on the screens uh, in both rooms uh, follow along at John chapter 20 and look at what Jesus did when one of his disciples had thoughtful questions. John 20 at verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means the twin, he had a twin sibling out there somewhere. Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. This is after Jesus had been seen risen from the dead. And he appears and all the disciples see him, but Thomas, Thomas isn't there. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, Thomas here is not an enemy of the faith. Thomas here is a scientist. Just give me empirical evidence that it's true, and then I'll believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Um, two things here. Number one, uh, why would Jesus do this little kind of uh, materialized through the locked door thing? I think if you've been tortured, crucified, and died, you are entitled to a little fun. And I think Jesus is just kind of playing with them at that point when he's passing through doors that are locked. Secondly, pay attention to this. Little details like that are important. If this were a made-up story, if this were a fiction the author would have explained it. Right? One of the signatures of a good lie is the details. And if somebody were making this story up, they would have explained why this happened or how it happened. And they don't. It's just left a kind of a curious mystery here. And that's because this is not a fiction. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet who have believed. Jesus' word to Thomas is not scolding. It's not stop doubting and believe, shame on you. It's now that I've given you the evidence that you've asked for, stop doubting and believe. And that is how Jesus engages with people who ask thoughtful questions. The church does not exist to silence doubts and put away thoughtful questions. The church exists to pursue the guy who said, I am the truth. And if you believe in Jesus, you're not afraid of the truth. If you're 
raising kids, and you're afraid of all the things that they might hear in the schools, and you're worried that they're going to go hear all kinds of things that disagree with the faith that you've taught them, let me give you something to be afraid of. Your kids are going to grow up and move out of your house, hopefully, and they're going to go off, they might go to college, they're going to read newspapers, they're going to talk to friends, and sooner or later, they're going to discover brilliant, thoughtful, humble minds out there that believe differently than you do. And at that point, your child is going to have to decide where they think the truth lies. They're going to lean on the person who pursues truth most authentically. Shouldn't that be the church? Shouldn't the church love truth more than our secular friends? Shouldn't we be the ones who say, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life? We're not afraid of any one of those things. We do our kids a disservice when we give them a a rigid faith which says either embrace Christianity or embrace the sciences. You can't do both. And we've destroyed the faithful development of so many kids who could have matured thoughtfully hearing that, no, 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 God created the sciences. God created the academy. God created your mind. Use them for his purposes. Let Let me leave us with the words of Jesus, when he was asked, what's the most important of the commandments? What's the most important of everything in the Hebrew Scriptures? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Do those things and you'll be faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you made a beautiful, complex world filled with things to explore. And I thank you that you placed us in this world with thoughtful minds to explore it and to worship you. Use our knowledge. Use our questions. Use our hope to point us in the direction of the truth, which we find ultimately in Jesus Christ. May we, as your ambassadors to this world, greet those who doubt, welcome those who question, embrace those who are not sure. Let our our love be something that cannot be doubted. And may we do that for you. You loved us when we were unlovable. You forgave us when we didn't deserve it. And you welcome us even when we even when we haven't honored you. So Jesus, we repent of having used you for our own purposes. And now with open hearts, we welcome you in. Teach us to love as you love and shine through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.